This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good morning. Good morning to everyone. I, uh... Thank you for coming to the Green Gulch Talk on this holiday weekend. And I've uh, wanted to say some, some of my thoughts about how I'm feeling these days and today and also how I'm turning towards our practice, towards the practice uh, ever more strongly taking refuge. So today is the full moon, the full moon of July. And the full moon, as many of you know, was traditionally a time for the Sangha, for the community, the four-part community of ordained and lay men and women and all beings who feel they're in the Sangha to come together, to come together to practice, to renew the practice, to renew our precept precepts and our bodhisattva vows. So this morning at Green Gulch and probably temples all over the world, we had our bodhisattva full moon ceremony and we had ours on the lawn. Those of you who know Green Gulch, um, out on the lawn. Yesterday on July 4th, it, it was a very quiet day for me, very uh, uh, I, I'm in quarantine right now. Uh, my husband Steve and I are in quarantine for four weeks, uh, two weeks, 14 days, because we, we left Green Gulch for a family visit and are practicing the protocols of Green Gulch, which upon certain kinds of outings or visits, one returns to uh, quarantine for two weeks. So we're in quarantine, but yesterday at Green Gulch on July 4th, as perhaps a uh, Independence Day, Interdependence Day, Interdependency, as Suzuki she said, day, uh, Green Gulch offered a uh, Black Lives Matter demonstration and sitting and vigil up at the place where Green Gulch Driveway meets Highway 1. And there was a procession from the lawn again up through Green Gulch up to the highway. And then as marking this day, there was a sitting 
our Black Lives Matter sign that was up at the road had been taken down. So we renewed those, put up new signs and sat again. Um, so this July 4th, I felt no need, no impulse to celebrate or congratulate or perpetuate the kind of myth, uh, the legend and myth of freedom and equality and the throwing off of tyranny that uh, we celebrate. I somehow this year, I had no inclination in that regard. I felt rather serious and sad and feeling a little bit like uh, let's all together see through the fact that this isn't true, you know, and it is not inclusive of everyone. Also, right now, as, as we all may be very well aware, the coronavirus uh, is uh, spiking, is growing, is uh, in various parts of the country. And of course, I hope we're well aware of how it is affecting those who are most vulnerable, affecting people of color disproportionately all over the world and in this country. These, these uh, facts are, um, I, I want them to be looked at and seen and I want to have them be known for what they are. One thing I did yesterday on July 4th was read the speech given by Frederick Douglass on, it was on July 5th actually, about the July 4th Independence Day and the the oratory skill was uh, it was so amazing to me the the way in which he wove his tribute to the founding fathers of this country and at the same time came back to let us look at the horrors that are being perpetuated in this country. And then finishing with, but this is a young country and this was in, it was 74 years old, the country, I think at the time, uh, that it's a young country, we have time. So I'm uh, meditating on some of these things and coming back 
to our practice, to the practice that rings true, deeply rings true of how we work with karmic consciousness, which are voluntary actions of body, speech, and mind. And these voluntary actions are stem from or flow from a misunderstanding and a uh, ignorance about the way we all, all sentient beings, exist together, the reality of our existence. So our, our karmic life is based on a notion of a separate self, a separate I that is self-centered, self-clinging, and the actions flow from this are harmful. These actions are harmful. Not the actions of taking good care of uh, what arises in each moment, taking good care of our bodies and our minds, our body minds, and all those we come in contact with in our minds and in our daily life. I'm not talking about the actions that arise from our interconnectedness. I'm talking about actions based on I, me, and mine at the expense of others. So how, how, do, we, how do we practice with this? This is basic ignorance, this uh, ignorance about how we exist together. And out of this ignorance, if you look at the 12-fold chain, ignorance, karmic formations come from that. Karmic formations are these actions of body, speech, and mind that are about, that are turned by greed, hate, and delusion. So, you know, we haven't been having kids lectures uh, during, during the closing of the Zendo. And I was thinking this would have been a kids lecture and what kids lecture would, would I wanna bring up today? And the one that arose for me was the Emperor's New Clothes. The Emperor's New Clothes, some of you know that fairy tale. Um, and I, it just came to me how, how apt a story that is for me right now. In the story, there are um, uh, con men, actually, I would say, who sell uh, fame and reputation and having the most wonderful clothing in the world. It's so wonderful that only those who, you know, 
are really intelligent and they those are the only ones that can see it the material is so fine and so magical and of course the emperor wants such a outfit and the con men come and they show him bolts of cloth which are that there's nothing there but they mime isn't this beautiful and show it to them and and then they pretend to sew in their sewing workshop creating the clothes and everyone around them the psychophants is that the word all the courtiers and all the kings um, henchmen and everyone in the royal party doesn't want to be seen as the one who's not intelligent or who uh, doesn't have what it takes and they all go along with it oh yes how beautiful it's magnificent these clothes and the day it comes for the um the july 4th parade you know the day comes for the big parade and the the con men tailors bring the clothing to the emperor and have him get dressed and help him get dressed and then he walks through the town through the city in his undies you know and everyone in the inn has heard about these clothes and they all oh are they beautiful isn't aren't they magnificent isn't it beautiful except for this one little boy who's standing in the sidelines and watching the parade and he points and he says but he does he's not wearing anything the emperor's not wearing any clothes and he you know speaks truth he speaks truth to power he's not afraid of looking one way or another protecting his reputation um being seen he just sees what he sees he's not wearing anything and of course as soon as that little boy says it everybody everyone in the in the sidelines also says he's right he's right he's not i don't see any clothes either and and the whole thing comes tumbling down i've been watching this documentary called babies on netflix uh it's um i think there, there's two seasons so far and in the one we saw recently these young babies maybe as young as four or five months point they point they point and they they did a um a kind of experiment where they had a person's their mother or yes i think their mother was with them and then the person doing the test and they showed them a kind of puppet show and very lively puppet show and the baby would point at the puppets and the person testing did three different things one is just look at the child they didn't look at where they were pointing they talked to the child and looked at the child and the child kept pointing and pointing see look look that was one of the tests the other was 
the child pointed to the puppet show and the testing person looked at the puppet show and kept looking and the child kept pointing and pointing. And the third was the child pointed at the puppet show and the testing adult looked at the puppet show, looked back at the child, said something, looked back at the puppet show in relation, in, in relation to the child, and the child very soon stopped pointing. So in the first two instances, it wasn't satisfying. It wasn't relational, just staring one way or the other, but including what you're pointing at and the child and the interaction that they didn't need to point anymore. This pointing was called joint sharing and it starts very young where we want to include, we do include everyone around us. We want to include our community starting with those closest to us, our family, but then the wider world, whoever we come in contact with, our lives are in a relation, are, are, are a relational field, not even in a relational field, but are a relational field and an all-inclusive relational field, whether we know it or not, and whether our karmic experience feels it or not. And this is, you know, this is problematic that we don't feel the truth of our relational life. There's a quote from Maya Angelou. She says, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And, you know, I, I would tweak it a little bit if I were to, what I would say is how you felt with them. They'll never forget how you felt with them. They'll never forget how you made them feel, how it was to be with them. That is unforgettable. And I think we can call up in our imagination, you know, family and friends and teachers with whom we felt seen, we felt listened to, we felt acknowledged, we felt, we felt that we were precious. My, my deep wish is that each one of you has felt this, knows what I'm talking about. People actually would say that about Suzuki Roshi. They felt that he, he saw them, he saw completely who they were and accepted them for who they were. These are words for each of us. Uh, how are we with our friends, with our family, with our teachers, with our Dharma brothers and sisters, with all beings? 
what what is it that we're expressing in the relational field and this expression is our understanding of the teaching expressed in this way as well as our understanding of ourselves the more we understand ourselves the more we understand our own vulnerabilities our own fears our own karmic life our own habits the more we can understand the vulnerabilities the frailty the fears of others and the more we understand the more compassion we have for all beings and this is this is our bodhisattva vow living for the benefit of others so what what gets in the way of this uh, trust and uh, ability to allow ourselves to be vulnerable as part of what it means to allow others to be who they are what what gets in the way of this uh, for us you know i was um it, our own uh, karmic life our own experiences our own education our own ways we've been uh, treated and whether or not we've been mirrored or listened to uh, or seen will of course that's part of our karmic life and we this is something we need to uh, examine you know be aware of the um trust that happens between people wherein there can be a relaxed uh, a relaxed feeling in body and mind when we're with people allows for us to express our true self i've been uh, reading about uh, what hap what gets in the way of that relaxed trust? Well, our past experience, for one, and as we bring that into the present, we kind of, uh, there's a, in mountain climbing, there's something called a haul bag. It's, you know, it's got the food and the water and ropes and all sorts of things that, it, and it's hauled up the side of the mountain and it's heavy and you have to but you need it and you kind of haul it up and but without the haul bag you can um, move pretty quickly and and so so we often are carrying this haul bag with us that we um don't know how to let go of and leave at the bottom of the mountain you know so trust between people 
is, uh, can be, can allow for so much. There's, uh, there's an old uh, poem by the third ancestor, supposedly called Trust in Mind, Qin Qin Ming, Trust in Mind, and the, it's sometimes called Faith in Mind. And that character for trust or faith in that piece is, it has two parts to it. One is the radical on the left side for person and the other is words. So in, in kind of studying the, the character kind of etymologically, it's to be able to trust in someone's words, rely on someone's words, to be able to, that those are upstanding words that you can rely on. So this is part of trust, but not the whole thing. When there isn't trust, uh, one thing that happens in our brain, which to me is kind of amazing, um, is that when there is trust, we feel safe, we feel relaxed, and creativity can rise, curiosity can rise, listening is possible, all sorts of things, when there's trust in the relational field, and there's a sense of connection, and there's, you know, chemically, there's oxytocin is secreted, which is the, the kind of bonding chemical, enormous amounts of oxytocin are secreted after a baby is born, not only for the mother before the baby is born and after and during lactation, but also for the father, oxytocin in the father's bloodstream. And I would suspect if they did the studies, it would be in the grandmother's and grandfather's bloodstream or in any caretaker. What they've found is uh, the oxytocin or this, this chemical of bonding arises when we care for beings. The caretakers, uh, even, you know, adoptive parents or same-sex parents who are not able to have children taking care of a baby and this oxytocin is is generated. We are built, we are built for relationship. We are built for caring for one another. So this being able to feel this connection takes time. If it's not an immediate thing, um, maybe between a baby and a caretaker and a caretaker with a baby, this naturally arises for most people, maybe not for everyone even. But between adults, this 
relational bonding. There has to be some kind of trust there. And this grows slowly. It's not immediate, necessarily. We have to give it time. We have to be together. We have to be with one another in all sorts of situations. I've been reading a lecture by Suzuki Roshi that was from 1961, pre-Tasahara. Tasahara was in 1967. And uh, Suzuki Roshi's talking about, and I, I feel that he's thinking ahead, like foreshadowing what he would love to see someday, which did come to be, which is a place where people can be together, live together, eat meals together, sit together, work together, and work with him, and eat meals with him in day-to-day -day contact, taking care of one another, listening to one another, sharing a life, joint sharing. I think we're built for this, and yet we may not have opportunities that are safe to do that in our life. We may well not have had these kinds of opportunities. And when there isn't trust, you know, we have, we have functions of the brain that are on alert and vigilant 24 hours a day, 24 seven. The reticular activating system, the RAS system is on alert 24 hours a day for possible, well, actually for novelty, for something that's new or changed, but this new or change could be a threat and it could be a threat to one's life it could be a threat to one's life as a social, communal, relational being. So all these kinds of threats that can come to us, uh, we're, we're on alert for this. Uh, and we're also on alert, uh, on alert not only for possible harm, uh, harm of all kinds, harm of humiliation and being put down, but also bodily harm. We're on alert for that, and we're also on alert for rewards of being able to get food and being able to have uh, companionship and relational rewards. So it's amazing this 24-7 uh, system that's scanning the environment for these things. We also have part of the brain called the amygdala, which is like a guard dog. I read that it's described sometimes as a guard dog. And this guard dog is trained to prepare the body for, you may very well be very familiar with this, but for fight, flight, freeze, or a fourth one, which is appease. Flight, fr uh, 
freeze, flight, fight, or appease. So how many times we can think about this, that the amygdala, by the way, when there's threat that's um, sensed, uh, in less than a second, it bypasses the parts of the brain that are thinking, gauging, reference points, these kinds of things, and goes immediately uh, to the reptilian part of the brain for this flight, fight, freeze, or appease. The emperor's new clothes, you know. Frightened of being thought of in a social realm as ridiculous or stupid or loss of reputation. Uh, and so what do we do? Well, we appease. We, we go along with. We, and this, this amygdala, this is called the amygdala hijack. In less than a second, it sends stress hormone, cortisol, you know, immediately to the parts of the brain that know about or that react in fight, flight, fright, freeze, appease. This, um, you know, I, I was not aware of appease as one of these uh, reactivities. So this happens when there's going to be both physical harm or social harm. And it bypasses all these other parts of the brain of creative thinking and problem solving and uh, weighing things. All the cognitive functions um, stop. So is, you know, looking at ourselves, do we recognize this? Do we recognize strategies built coming from fear, coming from some lack of ability to trust those around us, trust our environment, trust our own hearts. This is part of our karmic formations, are part of the skandhas, part of the five aggregates, samskara skanda. Oh. So there was a Zen uh, teacher who's in our lineage, lineage Tanka Shijun Daiosho. And in a story, uh, there's a quote from him where it says, if you are not devoted to walking among people, then you fall into dirt and mud, wearing feathers and horns. And that's a kind of idiom for um, 
acting like, um, you know, not like a human being, like a, a beast. Although, you know, I don't know about that in terms of animals that we know and love. However, this, this phrase, if you're not devoted to walking among people, then you fall into this situation. Walking among people, I think this is, this is our Bodhisattva vow, walking among people. And not only walking, but in this walking, there is listening. And from listening comes understanding. And from understanding comes compassion. And this under wisdom and compassion as, as our way. So we can ask ourselves this question, are, how, how are we devoted? Are we devoted to walking among people? What will it look like right now during this time? What is walking? among people is this I I've been noticing the animation of the eyes you know behind masks the um, power you know of people's twinkling eyes and openness uh, and how do we in this situation, in this karmic situation, how are we going to devote ourselves to walking among people? So our, our practice, you know, over and over again in so many different ways, uh, is bringing up the relational the relational, we are born of the relational field. And recently someone was telling me about being in a situation, I think it was, must have been a Zoom situation because uh, it was, you know, in the last weeks, feeling uh, that there were people there in the Zoom room who, they recognized and trusted and knew and that it didn't even take that many people but that was enough to feel that there was trust there and that that there there was room and space and a relaxed space in order to draw on creative expression, all of our thought processes, opening our heart. It's, it's very powerful. It's very powerful to be trustworthy. If you're worthy of trust, then trust is born from that relational field. 
others others feel trust arising oh. so i i be i began this talk thinking about ignorance and our and what flows from ignorance And I, I also wanted to say something uh, that, that helps me to look at the work that needs to be done. Uh, this is also from this baby's documentary. Uh, they've been able to, scientists, neuroscientists, and uh, have been able to uh, document that babies very young age can distinguish faces, not only faces of all different types, their family, strangers, different ethnicities, uh, from, different from their own, but also small babies can distinguish the individual, uh, the individuality of, for example, animals monkeys actually is what they had and they showed these monkeys uh and to me they seemed um i i could not tell one from the other by the faces and, but they were saying these young babies were able to distinguish different faces but as they get older this drops away and what also drops away is the ability to distinguish uh, people who were different from the family and the people around them. And I imagine there's probably a lot of, uh, uh, you know, survival, uh, uh, coping and evolutionary things where you you need to recognize and pay attention to and uh, prune all these other and, and pay attention to the people closest to you because those will see to it that you have what you need and so this as human beings we need to work as adults and in our maturity to re-understand and look at our relational field in a broader way than when we were younger. This is, this is our, our work. This is, I think, human beings work and, and we have, I want to look individually at the work that I need to do in this regard. So, uh, so being devoted to walking among people, being devoted to one another brings, brings with it great uh, 
joy, actually. We might think, well, if I devote, this is one of the things that comes up around the Bodhisattva vow. If I devote myself to others, you know, what might happen to me or something like that. And what we find is this devotion, walking among people, benefits self and other. It's not just benefiting other. It benefits self and other because we are, we appear from and are born from this relational field. The 10,000 things. This relational field, I'm, I'm kind of uh, maybe conflating it. Uh, it sounds like I'm conflating it maybe, but how I'm understanding it is this great field of interconnectedness whereby we are conditioned by one another and condition one another so much so that we can't say that we exist as a separate self. It's rather we're our, we're our impermanent process of ever-changing and never-ending uh, life where the 10,000 things come forward. Each circumstances, each situation, each person comes forward and realizes itself through us, as us, as how we appear. So the relational field or our, we are creating it, it is creating us. There's, we are held and we hold This is, uh, there's a kind of faith here, you might say, and trust. And I think in our sitting practice, when we are able to allow whatever arises to arise without pushing it away, without trying to make it be one way or another, without trying to achieve something. It's not about trying to even become or even to benefit others, trying to do those kinds of things. That, that even is saying too much. It's allowing the mysterious arising of life conditioned by life. So my practice these days is to be as honest as I can and to feel what I'm feeling and to listen and out of this comes 
you know, the, the three minds of the Tenzo, the joyful mind, Ki Shin, the nurturing mind or parental mind, or Suzuki Roshi says, old lady mind, grandmother mind, Roshin, this mind of nurturing, caring for, looking out for, and then the last mind, the Daishin, the magnanimous mind, that there's some trust that this can hold, that this is holding everything. So may we each have the capacity not to turn away from our lives and to what our experiences, to ask for the help we need and to be there for, for one another. And I wish for your well-being, for your health and for your relaxed and open openness to be ready for whatever arises. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our programs are made possible by the donations we receive. Please help us to continue to realize and actualize the practice of giving by offering your financial support. For more information, visit sfzc.org and click Giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.